to your classrooms, go have some fun. Well, how's everybody doing on this fine, sunny Sunday morning? <laughs> that sun looks wonderful out there. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Well, uh, this morning we're going to go in a little bit different direction than we've been in the last few weeks. The last three weeks we've been on, as part of our faith refresh that we're going to be doing in the second half of the year, we were talking about doubt and unbelief for three weeks, and we've got a little bit more to say about that. And we were saying that doubt and unbelief are the blessing blockers. And it doesn't have to do with God stopping. It has to do with you putting things in the way. And, and if faith is responds to the word of God, it takes God at his word and says, God, you said it. I believe that it's true. I act like it's true. And I go ahead and I walk it out. It means unbelief does the opposite. It weighs everything else and says, well, God says this, but this is what I feel, or this is what I know, or this is what I've experienced. And so we basically, faith and unbelief work exactly the same way, just in opposite directions. And doubt wavers between the two. It literally means to go back and forth, it means it's over here, I'm like, yes, God, and then I get distracted. Squirrel, I don't believe. Yes, God, I get distracted. It's just like Peter getting out on the water. God, Jesus said to him, come. And he jumped out and he responded to what Jesus said. And he walked on the water. But then when he began to consider the wind and the waves because they were boisterous, they were making a commotion, he got distracted off of Jesus and began to sink. That's the ultimate picture of what doubt is. He responded to God and got distracted on the way. And so what we, we get to con be in control of our doubt and unbelief, right? Well, that's where we were, and we're going to pick up there probably again next week. But today, I want to go on a short little message here on a little tangent. And I want to start in Acts chapter 2. Now, we spent a bunch of time in Acts chapter 2 in the month of June. But I want to start here at the end and read a few verses to give you context to get to where we're going. And in the book of Acts, Holy Ghost comes. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They pour out into the streets of Jerusalem. And then Peter gets up and he begins to give the first Holy Spirit-inspired message. He preaches to them and that says they're cut to the heart. And they said to him, what should we do? And here's what Peter said to them. Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. And those are the same tried and true methods throughout the years. It's not changed. If you want God, turn. That's what repent means. Turn from and turn to and receive. And it says, and be baptized. We had a baptism service just a few weeks ago, and we're still doing it today. It's an outward expression of an inward condition. And he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, for that promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so it's that same pr promise of the Holy Spirit, that same ability to receive the gift of God, it endures generation after generation after generation after generation to as many as the Lord our God will call. And that's it. until he calls us home, that's still going to continue, right? And it says, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And that means the crooked. 
crooked. It means they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What does that sound like? Doubt. They're wavering back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They don't know what they want and when they want it, but they want it now. Come on. Isn't that the thing? The, the world gets so upset about so many things, and then they realize, what is it I actually want? I don't even know what I want. That's why we don't follow them. We follow the word. And so he says, be saved or delivered from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. So they responded to the word. What did he tell them to do? Repent and get baptized. And so they responded to the word. This is an, an, an outflow of faith. He they said, what do we do? He told them and they did it. They responded to the word. They were baptized and about 3,000 souls were added to them on that day. So they went from 120 people in the upper room to 3,120 that day. And the Bible tells us through the book of Acts that the Lord added to them daily. It just kept going, kept going, kept snowballing, kept going. As one was saved, they told another and it just kept going and kept going. It says those who gladly received the word were baptized and about 3,000 were added. And we said that so you can have the context of what we're talking about here in verse 42 which says and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers they continued and I, I've wanted to preach this message since the first of the year because when we were when I was praying at the end of 2020 saying Lord if you were wanting to say one thing to us for 2023 what would it be and the word that rose up in my heart was continue and now with what where the direction that we go for a year I usually take the first few months of the year and we emphasize on it we spent like nine weeks at the first of 2022 looking at the word hunger the year before that we spent the first two months looking at the word shift and how we need to shift our thinking from what the world thinks and what we have our own expectations and shift it to God but when it came to 2023 and the word continue I was like, God, I just don't have a release in my heart that we need to preach this in January, February, March, April, whatever it be. And I kept looking back, God, when do you want to preach this? And then I had this realization, you don't need to be exhorted to continue at the start. You need to be exhorted to continue in the middle when you're wanting to give up. And so here we are at the end of July, the seventh month of the year, starting into the eighth, eighth month this year of this year coming up in August. We need to be exhorted to continue. We always begin well in things. But it's, will you, are you willing to continue? You know, a number of years ago, my older sister, Shauna, who pastors in California, when she was living in the area, she was a marathon runner. And I remember her first marathon. It was the Ottawa race weekend. And we had, she was going to be in it, and she was all excited about doing it. And we had spaced ourselves out along the course so that we could cheer her on. And uh, Toph and I, I think we were at mile number 20. Now, for those of you who need, need to be reminded, 26.2 is how long a marathon is. So this is the majority of the way through the marathon, 20 miles into the marathon. And as we see all these people are running by, they usually look like this at that point. <sighs> and so we keep waiting and we keep waiting and we keep waiting. And finally, we see Shauna coming down the road and she looks just like everybody else. <sighs> and as she gets towards us, she sees us and we're trying to encourage her and she just starts bawling and I don't want to go on. 
I'm like, well, you shouldn't have started. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a marathon runner. That's not in my nature and desire at all. But what we said to her is, you've come 20 miles. You've only got six more. What you've come through is greater than what you still have to endure. Continue. And that's what the life of a Christian is. There's going to be many times when you're in the middle of what God has called you to do, and you're going to be tempted to want to give up, shut up, and go home. Continue in the name of Jesus. And so our word for 2023 is continue, and I think it's probably one of the easiest things when this year when I'm like, well, what are we going to do about this? The answer is pretty easy. Continue. Well, what are we going to do with this, Pastor Jordan? That's easy. We're going to continue. You don't always need a new plan. Sometimes you just got to finish carrying out the last one God gave you. And so you continue. The word that, we, that is used here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is continued steadfastly. And it's one word in the Greek, and it means to adhere to, or constant to one. I think that's important right there. Constant to one. Often we get busied with too many things in the fire. What do you say? Too many irons in the fire? What's the thing, the gift that God's given to you? What has he called you to? Get busy with that and stop being distracted with everything else you could do. But to continue steadfast means to adhere to, be constant to one, or to give steadfastly attentive to. It means to fix your eyes on something. But one thing that I, I really love to do is when I'm looking at words, whether they be in the Greek or the Hebrew or even in the English, I like to look at the etymology of a word. And that means what's its origin? How did we get to this word? Because, you know, most words are born out of human laziness in speaking. <laughs> There's two ideas that are being conveyed, and I, they both need to be conveyed in this one. Let's smash it together and shorten it. Isn't there so many short forms of words in our vocabulary where they started out one way, but as time went on, we shortened it, we changed it, we modified it, because we're lazy in how we talk. Guess what? The Greeks were no different. <laughs> and so this word that we see continued steadfastly is two words slammed together, and they convey an interesting perspective about what is trying to be said. And the two words, the first one is to the advantage of... Being steadfast. Now that might not excite you as much as it did, did me, but what I'm trying to tell you is there is an advantage to continuing. Yes. There is an advantage for those who will continue over those who will not. There is an advantage. And our world is so, so fixated about what is right and what is fair. God doesn't care about fairness. He said, do it this way. This is the way I've ordained. And that's the advantage. When he sent the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why? The Holy Spirit is a cheat card. He allows you to overcome and do things better with more power, more efficiency, more joy, more expectancy than the world can. He doesn't care if it's not fair to the world. They can use the cheat card too if they want, but they choose not to. So you don't have to be, be concerned of whether it's fair to have an advantage. Just use the advantage you have. And so he's saying here, there's an advantage to continuing. Just like one who continues in the gym has an advantage over the one who does not. One gets stronger, one develops, and the other does not. 
And so across the body of Christ, we see people at different states of development based upon what they've chosen to continue in. Do you continue in living and thinking and acting like the word world? Or do you continue in what God has called you to and what he's called you to be? The choice is always in our court, but it's to our advantage to continue. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Now I think it's interesting that those two are broken apart. Because we make a large deal about we need to keep gathering together, gathering together. The Bible says don't forsake the gathering of yourself together. And that is good, but church is not just a social club. It's not something you come to to put your time in to see your friend. The first thing they continued in was the apostles' doctrine. They didn't just come to listen, they put it in application. And they continued in it. And so there's many things that we come to church and we hear, but never have any interest in applying. If you want to continue in the things of God, like the early church did, start applying the doctrine. Oh, come on. Getting pretty quiet in this Presbyterian church. They continued steadfastly in doctrine and in getting together. And it's important for us to be together, but it's just as much too important of what you got together for and what you plan to do with it. Yes. And it says they stayed, they got together and they continued in the breaking of bread. This is not just sitting down and shoving your gullet with a bunch of food. That has a direct picture to the table of Christ. This is my body which was broken for you. This is my blood which was shed for you. Jesus said of the bread and of the wine, he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. It's speaking of the covenant that we have that has been ratified in the blood of Jesus. The Bible tells us it's a good covenant based on better promises than the old covenant. This is the body, represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us that by his stripes we were healed. And so they didn't just continue in eating, they honored the body body of Jesus. And Paul tells us that there's many seek, sick, and weak among the church because they have not rightly discerned the body and the blood of Jesus. They haven't honored what it actually means to them and for them in the day that they live. It's not a story that we just remember. It's a reality that we live in. Jesus did it for me so that it can affect me and change me now. And so they continued in doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. It's good to pray. It's good to continue in prayer and go on and continue. Uh, Paul told the Thessalonians, pray always. Continue. Keep going in it. Don't, don't have a time of prayer and then not think of it again for a few months or a few days. Or, it says continue in it over and over and over. It's important, though, the doctrine side of things because it was a warning that Paul gave to Timothy, and it's this. He says, for time will come where they won't endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will go, okay, I heard what you had to say, but I have no interest in, in applying it. Let's go hear what this person has to say. And they go from place to place to place. And unfortunately, Christians are very much like that today. They live in cycles where it's like, I go to this church for a year until I get offended, and then I'll go to this chair until I get offended there. And it's always somebody else's problem, but I haven't looked and looked at me yet. 
We suffer from the grass is greener somewhere else. The grass is greener where you water. The grass is greener where you tend. And so he says that they'll heap up for themselves teachers and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and they'll be turned aside to fables or just stories. And the enemy does not want you to continue. To continue in what, Pastor Jordan? Whatever God has called you to. Your journey is probably not my journey, but you've been called to continue the one that you've been called to walk. It doesn't have to look like mine, but you have a responsibility to the one you've been given. And the enemy does not want you to continue. The reality is he doesn't want you to start. Usually he starts at the start, and he tries to stop you from getting moving. But you know what? If you get moving, his next best thing is, I'll get them to give up. If I can get them to give up, it'll be okay. Continue. Now, one of the number one ways he tries to get us to stop is by bringing offense. And when we looked at unbelief and doubt, we looked at Mark chapter 6, and we saw that Jesus could do no mighty work because of their offense. There was an impediment. The word offense meant they put something in the way between them and God. Them and receiving the miracles that God wanted to do. Them and seeing the power that the other regions around them had seen. Offense was the blessing blocker. And the thing is, if he tried to do that for Jesus, he's going to try to do that for you. You know that he wants you to be offended at your boss? Because he doesn't want you to thrive in the environment which you're at. He doesn't want you to be blessed or be a blessing in your workplace. And so what he'll do? He'll get, try to get you mad at your boss. Can we just talk practically and real for a moment? So many people are like, I hate my boss. That's, why, that's what the enemy wants. He does not want you to thrive. He does not want you to be blessed. He wants you to be offended. Does the same thing in churches. So many people leave their church offended. Well, pastor didn't do this right for me. He didn't say this right. Or doesn't he care? The enemy wants you offended at your pastor. You know, he also wants you offended at your family. Why? Because his job is to divide and to destroy. And if he can separate you and put an impediment in between you because of your offense, he can get you to stop. Oh, come on. You know it's true. Offense is designed by the enemy to separate people, to separate blessings, to separate destiny, to separate miracles, to separate the power of God, to separate you from peace, to separate you from love. It's designed to separate you from the things of God and those around you because the isolated sheep is the one that gets eaten. Come on. I know this isn't the shout, shout, rah, rah, I'm so blessed and it's so great message, but we need to understand how the enemy wants to stop us from continuing. The number one way is with offense. He wants to divide you from those around you. He wants to divide you from your church and divide you from your family, divide you from your coworkers. He wants division. Jesus came for life and life more abundantly. The enemy came to steal 
to kill and to destroy. We have to recognize the source because our source of reception should be from the Lord. And so if that didn't come from him, it's coming from a source that we can deal with. All power and authority has been given unto me, therefore you take it and you go. You do something with it. So I want to read, a, read a, in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And in verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Well, what, what, what hope do we have then, Jesus? You just said it's impossible. Well, it, offenses will come, but you know there's a difference between offense and offended? Yeah. Offense is an event. Offended is a choice. That something happened, and I'm unwilling to move past it. I've made this wall, and I'm going to stand behind it. So he says it's impossible that no offenses would come, but woe to him through whom they come. Now this is, you can offend people accidentally all the time. The, what Jesus is talking about is this is my choice. This is how I am and this is how I want to be and I'm going to stay that way. And Jesus' warning is, woe to him who goes trying to divide people. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. He said it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea than he should offend the little ones. He said, it's even worse if it gets passed on to the kids. You might as well take that person, put a rock around their neck, and toss them into the sea. That's not a pretty picture, but these are the words of Jesus. They're in red in your Bible. He said them, he meant them, and they're true because they have value for us for overcoming the situations of life, right? Because offense will come, but it doesn't have to stay. And he says in verse 3, it says, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And this is interesting because I was reading this this morning, and then while we were worshiping, the Holy Spirit said, Look up what it means to rebuke. It says, If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And it's interesting because when you think of rebuke, you think of chastise him and correct him. You are in the wrong and you need to get right. It means to confront. You know, I kind of think of like Bennett's thing recently. We've been really working with him that all those words you picked up in school are not appropriate for you to say. <laughs> and and uh, so he's been substituting different ones, but he uses them with the same intent. I'm like, just because you called your brother a bozo instead of an idiot doesn't change that there was malice in your heart. You can't just substitute the words. And so, you know, just because you're correcting him with a different word doesn't mean that it's right. But the word here, rebuke, is not like that at all. This is what he said to me during worship. The word rebuke there means to show honor to. Is that what that says, Toph? The word rebuke there means raise the price of. Do you know what he's saying there? If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Go to him and say, I value this relationship more than this problem. I see value 
in you and I being together. And I know we can move past this disagreement. It means to honor the person and show that they have value to you even in the midst of disagreement. Whew, that's heavy. It's saying, I value you. Why? Because the enemy wants division. The Lord wants to bring us together to continue. And it says, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, then seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And just for context, when Jesus tells this story in Matthew, Peter was the one that suggested seven. Peter said, if my, if my brother sins against me seven times, should I, should I forgive him? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. 490 times in one day? <laughs> That's a lot. I'm not even willing to do one. 490. Come on. You shall forgive him. And I love what happens next. The apostles say, Lord, increase our faith. Why? Because they're saying, I don't believe that I can do it. <laughs> Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. I don't believe I can do it, Lord. And he said, the Lord said back to them, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So Jesus' response to them is, you don't need faith any more than what you have. You need a willingness to use. We often substitute the word I can't with I, from I won't. Just like Jesus said he could not do any mighty work in his town, and we're like, oh, no, he must have said I would not. No, he didn't. He said he could not because of the offense. And sometimes we say, well, I just can't do it. We're saying I just won't do it. And Jesus is saying a little bit covers a lot. The enemy does not want you to continue. He wants you to separate. He wants you to stop. Don't fall into his trap. So I want to go a few more verses. What are we at with time? I want to go a few more verses here in Luke chapter 17. Because you think after that whole thing about offense, Jesus then tells a story. And there's a purpose in the story. There's a parable or, or, a, or a, a revealing of a moral within the story. He didn't just tell it for no reason. And it starts in verse 11 like this. Now it happened... As he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So he's, he's kind of back in the area of his stomping grounds, where he grew up. He grew up in Nazareth on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, right? And this tells us that it's up in the northern part of that, near where Samaria is. Samaria is that group of people in that area that the Jews did not like. They were half-breed Jews, and the Jews looked down their noses at them, and they were constantly offended by everything that they did. So Jesus talks about offense and then goes to a region that the Jews were very offended at. Kind of fitting. And it's near the area where he grew up. And as he entered a certain village, there he met ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. Now there's a reason why they're standing afar off. Under the law, 
when they were deemed unclean, they had to stay away from everybody else so that they would not pass their problem on to the rest of society. Leprosy was very infectious, and you spend time around lepers, you get lepers. So in order to fix that problem, they had to stay far off, and it was they, part of the law was that when people came close, they had to say, unclean, unclean, don't come any closer. So they have become the outcasts of society. They have been separated from everybody else, just like what offense does to relationships. It separates people. So they stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so they're seeking Jesus. That's always a good place to be. They lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, have mercy. Great place to start. Lord, help me. <laughs> so when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, if this was me, I'd be a little ticked. Come on. I came to you for help, John, and you told me to go see someone else? You didn't even bother coming close to me? You didn't pray for me, Jesus? You didn't tell me it's going to be all right? No. He just said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. This is an avenue of which offense easily could have entered. You know how they had, why they were standing off far off? They've been to the priest. The priest declared them unclean. They could have easily said, I've already been there and that didn't help me. But what did Jesus say? Go, show yourself. Faith responds to the word of God. And in the response to what Jesus has said, there's always going to be opportunity to be offended at the avenue in which it comes. He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. You know, it reminds me of another story of another leper. Naaman the Syrian came to Elisha the prophet because he was dying of leprosy. And so he made the journey to the nation of his enemy because he heard that there was someone who could help him there. He brought a great entourage with him and they got to the, the door of Elisha's hut and they bang on the door and Elisha doesn't even bother coming to the door. He sends Naaman. And Naaman says, he, sa or he sent, uh, what's the guy's name? Gehazi, Gehazi thank you. Drawing a blank there. Sent Gehazi to the door and he opens the door and he says, the prophet says, go down the street and dip seven times in the Jordan River. Clunk. <laughs> There's room for offense. That's not what I came here for. And so he turned around and he was ticked and he starts going back and he's mad and he's mulling over the offense that's just now entered. He expected that he would at least come and wave his hand over him or say some magical words, but all he said was, he tells you, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Clunk. And so as he's going away offended and mad, little servant girl says to him, if he had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? Who God knows how to diffuse a situation of offense. Because the great general 
would have done whatever was needed, but he wouldn't do the simple thing because it wasn't what he expected. So he set aside his offense. He set aside his pride, and he got in that dirty river. That's what he called it. He didn't want to do it because he's, aren't, there more, aren't there cleaner rivers in Syria? But it's not the river God told him to go to. And so he dipped, and he dipped, and he dipped, and he dipped, and on the seventh time he came up cleansed of his leprosy. And it's the same way in this story. There was room for offense to slide in right here. Go back to the priest. And then he didn't say anything more. But I like that the story doesn't end. It says, and so as they went, they were cleansed. As they responded in faith to the word that Jesus had spoken, this is what you need to do, they were cleansed as they went. And this is a different story than the type that we usually like to emphasize. We like the ones where immediately the eyes are open, immediately the ears are open, immediately the lame get up, immediately the dead person comes back to life, but we don't like to talk about progressive health. And that's what happened. As they went, well on their journey, they were cleansed. And sometimes when we get up and we're praying for people, it's like, well, I feel a little bit better, but because it's not 100%, I guess it wasn't working. No, continue on the journey. Progressive healing is better than no healing at all. And we see that all the time. The Lord, it took you a while to get in the state that you're in. It's okay, walk the journey out. Out is still out. And so here, as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I underline cleansed because it's interesting. It denotes that the sickness stopped. The sickness stopped. But what you need to know about leprosy is the longer you have it, the worse shape you're in. The digits begin to fall off. The ears, the nose, they look pretty rough. You know, I remember uh, David Wilkerson telling a story about he was in the backwoods in southern uh, Mexico up on a mountain, and they took him into this old church village, and there was an old church, like it was an old uh, um, Spanish monastery, I believe, and as he came in, there's like, there's a guy we need help with, he's, he's got leprosy, and he's like, oh, I've not seen leprosy, you know, it's not something we see in our modern society, but this is out in the sticks, middle of nowhere, and he came in, and he's like, the guy that was sitting there in the chair looked like he was turning into jello <laughs> you know it was just like a big blob there and he's like i don't care how contagious this is i'm gonna lay hands on this guy and so he put his hand on him and he was like and his hand like began to sunk into them because the guy was losing all consistency in his body and he just laid hands on him and immediately the body just became back together and the man was healed and restored but here in the state of these lepers the sickness stopped But what about everything else? You know, there's a verse in Philippians chapter 1 here that says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What God begins the journey that you get on, you need to continue because he will complete it. And so the, them being cleansed or the sickness stopping was the beginning of the journey, not supposed to be the end. And it says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, 
He glorified God. When God does something great in your life, glorify them. Glorify Him. God, you're so great. I'm so glad that the sickness has stopped. I'm so glad that I can go back to society because the sickness has stopped. And as he began to glorify the Lord and he fell down at his feet, he was giving him thanks. And the man, he was a Samaritan. He was of that class of people that the Jews looked down on. I think some of the greatest faith we see in the Bible comes from people who are the furthest removed. The weakest faith we saw were the people that were supposed to be close to God. But we see the, 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 the Roman centurion. Oh, how great is your faith. We see the Syrophoenician woman. Oh, how great is your faith. And here we see the Samaritan man, the only one who turned around to say, thank you, Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was there not... Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? <laughs> and he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. To contrast cleansed with the word that's used here for well, meaning he was restored. He got the digits back. He got the ears back. He got the nose back because he chose to continue. What God has called you to continue in. I want to leave you with one verse here as we wrap up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, sorry, two verses, I won't lie, two verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a shouting verse. That's a, God always gives me the victory. Yes, I'm going over. I'm not going under. I'm going to be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Oh, I'm so glad, God, you have blessed me in every situation. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed wherever I go, Lord. I'm so glad that I walk in victory. Therefore, <laughs> because of that, he says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What did he say? Because you stand in victory, continue, be steadfast. And so the word for the year is continue. And as he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread and fellowship and in prayers, what has the Lord called you to continue in? Don't let you let the enemy divide you from your destiny. Don't have, let him divide you from your blessing. Don't let him divide you from your family. Don't let him divide you from your church. Don't find yourself isolated and alone because the Lord has called you to fellowship one to another. He's called to bring people together just like the power of the Holy 
Holy Spirit, it says that when they were in one accord, they rushed along together. The enemy wants division. We should be emphasizing unity in this day above all else. The church world has lived for so many years dividing this this congregation and dividing this denomination just because of little offenses. Don't let the Lord divide you. Let's walk in unity, the unity of the Lord. Amen? So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness that endures day after day after day. And we know that you've called us unto life and life more abundantly. So we're not going to let the enemy steal. We're not going to let the enemy kill us. We're not going to let the enemy destroy our relationships. Father, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by faith we say, Lord, I respond to your word. I respond to what you've called me to and what you've led me down. And Lord, I will continue day after day after day after day. Lord, I will continue in your goodness and your grace. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just a moment, our Word Care team is going to be up here at the front. They would love to pray with you, agree with you, believe with you. Whatever it is that you need, go ahead and avail yourselves to them and it will bless you. Pastor Robin, why don't you bring us in for a landing? Well, as we continue in all things, let's continue in uh, tithes and offerings. Amen? It is offering time. Uh, I think everyone here knows how, how we can give. That way, envelope, whatever. So we're good that way. Um, over the years, there, when it comes to giving, um, there's always opportunities to not continue in giving because maybe your harvest isn't coming as fast as you'd like it to do to come whatever or whatever but but I have learned that you continue in it you continue it it's a lifestyle like giving is a lifestyle especially when we give into the kingdom of God so let's say this together and, and let's tell our seed what it needs to do and what it will do this is my seed I sow it into the kingdom of God seed do what you do best grow I saw you to spread the gospel. I saw you to strengthen believers. I saw you to go where I cannot. I saw you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, continue, continue. Amen? Amen. If you do want prayer, uh, Pastor Wendy and I will be up at the front here. We'd love to pray with you, to agree with you. Amen? All right.